Good morning, everyone. Uh, in the last three or four months, this is my third time to stand before you and speak. And since this morning's sermon is based on the first two times, I'm going to just take a few minutes to do a real, real a quick review of my first two sermons. So my first sermon was based on 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7, which is the fruits of the Spirit. But in Peter's lesson, and we're going to look at Galatians 5, 22 here in just a minute, Peter starts out his verses with faith. And if you'll remember right, I used faith and I used a, I wish I could have found one, it was a bird's nest. It's often built on two or three branches of a tree. And that's where a, a bird build, birds build their, their nest. And faith is the foundation or the cornerstone of our foundation. And we determined that man's faith was, a, was on a sliding scale. And we talked about the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter that, where their faith would have been a 9 or a 10. And we compared that to a Mark Twain. And we said his faith might be a 0 or a 1, or I said... And I based that on the fact that one of, his, one, of his, one of his statements was, faith is the belief in, because his belief that faith is believing in what ain't so. And he's made some other quotes along the same line. One I remember, uh, Mark Twain said, the Bible might be good for some moral, moral guidance, but he says it's full of a million lies. So that would kind of give you a clue as to where Mark Twain's faith was. So, but as Peter starts out in his in 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 Second Peter, he talks about goodness or virtue. And the word I liked was moral excellence. And moral excellence was the character of Christ. And it's the determination to do what is right. And Peter tells us to add to our moral excellence he tells us to add knowledge now this is advanced knowledge this wasn't knowledge that teaches that teaches us that we you know that we believe that christ is the savior it's the knowledge that governs our thoughts and it gives us practical wisdom determined to, to, to determine right from wrong and he tells us to add to our knowledge self-control controls our passions as well as our moods application of knowledge to govern our thoughts and actions and we went on to add self-control to perseverance and perseverance we need to, re to remain steadfast in the Lord and his cause and we wanted to remember Job and his perseverance in all of his tribulations And then to our perseverance, Peter tells us to add godliness. Godliness. First of all, it's the opposite of worldliness was the best way I could describe it. Describe it. Continual awareness of God's presence affecting every aspect of our lives. And that's where I finished up. And in, if we continue with Peter... The next thing he adds is 
is brotherly kindness. And he adds love. So that's where I want to start out this morning is with brotherly kindness and love. And as you go through that, I'll tell you, it's really, really difficult to make a determination or make a separation between brotherly kindness and love. I couldn't hardly do it. And, but brotherly kindness is the tender affection toward brethren in Christ. Romans 12, 9 through 10 tells us, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, honor one another above yourselves. Brotherly kindness is translated from the Greek as Philadelphia. Thus we have the city of brotherly love in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, of course. And I heard Scott using a sermon one time. He was talking about brotherly love. And he talked about Abraham and Lot. My uncle, by the way. And this is in Genesis 13. And Abraham and Lot's herdsmen were quarreling a lot among themselves because their herds have gotten so big that they could not all pasture together anymore. Their herds were too big to pasture. So Abraham got with Lot, and they discussed this situation, and they said that we can't pasture together anymore, and so why do we want to why do we want our herdsmen fighting or have hard feelings between ourselves? But Abraham let Lot choose which way he wanted to go. So Lot chose land to the east, which was the entire plain of Jordan. And this also happened to be near the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and of course we know what happened after that. But these plains were well watered, and they were green pastures. So Abraham took the land to the west, which was Canaan. And, but Abraham showed brotherly love toward Lot by letting him choose first what he wanted. And then we come to love. And there's no words. If you look in a Bible concordance, And you look up the word God. There's no, there's nothing, there's no other word in a Bible concordance that has more references than God. And, and if you look in the same Bible concordance and you look up the word love, it has oh many, almost as many references as God. And of course, that's simple to understand. God is love. So I'm not going to try to add any words of my own to love. But I did pick out some scriptures from all of this about love. And the first one I picked out was from uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 30, 30, 22, 37 through 39. And the Pharisees were testing Jesus. And they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, 
And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Our example comes from God first. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In 1 John 4, 16. And so when we know and rely on the love of love, I will start over. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. First Peter 4, 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians is, is a love chapter. But just reading from 4-7 from that chapter, it says, Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And also to make it the greatest commandment, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, now, these, now three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now the last two... Uh, there's there's two now. I want you to look at this for just a minute. And I think people generally use Galatians 5.22 as fruits of the Spirit. But I did both my first two sermons on on Peter's on Peter's statement of the fruits of the Spirit. And if you look at them, to me they're 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 different in, in a lot of ways. And because the way my mind works and the way I build things and fix things and a lot of other things like that, you know, I'm always building from a base or a foundation I'm building up. That's what Peter did. He took faith, and to that he added goodness. To that he added knowledge. To that he added self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and love but Paul of course who wrote Galatians started the other way around he put love first and I read a couple of commentaries some of them I didn't understand some of them I didn't did but there was a argument in these commentaries whether the fruits of the spirit was one fruit or nine fruits but Paul starts out with love and he kind of makes it one fruit, and out of that one fruit, he puts all these little branches from that fruit. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, if you draw lines across there, most of them you can match up. You can match up, you can match up the two goodnesses. You can certainly match up faithfulness, self-control, Patience with perseverance, and so on and so on. But the two I couldn't match up too well was joy and peace. 
and Paul does mention these, and, and, and Peter didn't, so I thought this morning I would just take a, a minute to talk about joy and peace. And it was funny because Scott and I didn't get together on this, but he sang a song, and uh, I think his opening song was Heavenly Sunlight, which talks about joy. So I thought it was very appropriate. But joy is gladness. It's completely independent of good or bad things that happen to us in the course of a day. Joy is not dependent upon circumstances. Happiness comes from us. Joy comes from God. Jesus said in John 15, 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You know, Paul showed, Paul was in prison in Rome for, I don't remember how long, it was years. But even while Paul was in prison, he showed joy. Because if we just look at a synopsis of Philippians 4, 4 through 8, Paul talks of, is, is in his letter is to tell people to rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious. And he speaks of peace of God which transcends, transcends all understanding is what he calls peace. So he wouldn't have been writing these things if he hadn't have been joyful in his surroundings. And, you know, Paul also taught in many places that we need to be content with what we have. But peace in our minds is the absence of turmoil. Is not, is, I'm sorry, is not the absence of turmoil, but the presence of tranquility. In other words, remember that God controls the events of a day. I'm sitting here debating. I have, a, I have a story to tell you that talks about one time when I had ultimate peace. And I'm just looking at the clock and trying to figure out if I have enough time, but I'm going to try to relate it. As many of you know, I'm a diver, and I had, have had many diving experiences. But one time I was out on a private dive boat with three other guys, and we was... 30 miles offshore on a Civil War wreck. And uh, you don't ever put all your divers in the water at one time. You've got to leave somebody on the boat. Because if you come back up, there's no boat there. You're in for a bad day. But uh, two divers went down, which was me and my buddy. We came back up and got on the boat after about a 50-minute dive. And then the other two divers went down. And somewhere about midway in this dive, we noticed that the hull of the boat had about a foot of water in it. And so we was trying to figure out what happened real quick. And it didn't take us long to figure out because it happened again. A great big ground swell came, came in. And our, we're anchored to the bottom, and so the boat's not doing like this. 
And so a big old wave came over the top of the boat, put more water in the hull. We immediately ran up and cut the anchor line, which freed the boat. In a recall system, we started the motor up and raced the motor a couple of times and turned it off and turned it back on again, which meant the divers on the bottom needed to get back up. And they did. But by that time, our boat is listing really bad to, to port. And the divers came up. We went over to pick them up. But as soon as we tried to pick them up, we could tell it was going to swamp the boat. The boat was going to turn over. We was 30 miles offshore. Uh, and so we couldn't pick them up, trying to decide what to do. And we kept circling the divers. But we, we could only circle to starboard. We couldn't circle to port. And every time they tried to get on the boat, the boat's going to turn over. So somewhere along in there, I told Seab, I said, Seab, it's, it's, uh, it's time to call the Coast Guard. No, nah, we, don't, we, we don't need to call the Coast Guard yet, so I let it go. And, but then we can't keep up with the divers anymore because of the wave action and everything else. We can't keep turning us to starboard to call them. Well, somewhere along in there, I developed a peace of mind. And I still had my exposure suit on, so to see. Got two divers in the water. I says, I'm not going to, this is not the end for me. I'm not going to die. I says, I've got my exposure suit on when this boat turns over. I'm not leaving the boat. And I'm going to stay there until somebody finds us. And I did have a lot of concern for the divers in the water because they're, you know, they're drifting away from us. Not sure we can see them anymore at this time. And I walked up to see him again. I put my arm around him. And I had to stand on the starboard side of the boat. I said, see, it's time to call the Coast Guard. And he picked up the radio and called Mayday. Well, so happens that the Coast Guard says, oh, we'll call you back, get right back to you. They did within just a, probably less than a minute. They called us back and said, we have a commercial dive boat in the area. We're going to send somebody out there to help you. And they did. And they saw what our situation was, and we told them we still have two divers in the waters. So they went downstream to pick up, to pick up, to find the divers, and they called us on the radio and told us they had our two divers. We went like that. We was just relieved. But during this whole time, I don't know where it came from, but I had a peace of mind. Uh, Steve and I never had an ugly word. And, and I just had a peace of mind over the whole thing. I knew we was going to have a severe loss of, of uh, personal property, which was going to happen when the boat turned over. But I was adamant about sea calling the Coast Guard before the boat turned over and all of our electronics got wet because we'd, we'd already lost one motor. One motor was already gone. Well, anyway, the commercial dive boat told us to follow him in on his wake, and we did, which took a lot of the action out of the sea. And... We can only do five knots. Now, we're 30 miles offshore, so we got six hours of riding time. In that amount of time, our bilge pump went out, so our boat's no longer pumping water out of the hull. But in that five hours, by hand, with a, with a hand pump, see if happened to have one on board, we pumped, I pumped every drop of water out of that hull that I could get out of the hull. 
boat was riding level and was doing seven knots. But during that whole time, I had a peace of mind. I don't know where it came from. I don't, it couldn't have come from anywhere but God. And I have to tell you, I had a lot of prayers during that time. But as we're getting in, we can see ashore. I went over and put my arm around Seb. I said, Seb, you know what? If it weren't for days like this, you know, we wouldn't have anything to tell stories about later on. So a couple of years later, I think he finally appreciated my humor. Now, we talked about all the fruits of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit plants these seeds in us, in our hearts and in our minds. And we bring them, and we bring them to light and keep them watered. And we work on them a few at a time. But Paul tells us, gives us some ideas on how to develop these things. And he does this in, I'm just going to read the scriptures. Paul gives us how we can work on these things from Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a, devil a foothold. Who, who, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, but, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. And what I've put up here is a synopsis of what I just read. And the first thing that Paul tells us to do is to be honest. And honesty covers a lot of things. It covers lying, being sincere in your dealings, to be open in your dealings. And, it, and, of course, I mentioned lying. I want to tell you a quick story about lying. I was a, in sales or sales management most of my professional career with corporate America. And as I was starting out with sales one time, I told a lie in order to get an order. Well, I got caught. I didn't lose the customer. I kept him for a customer for many, many years until he either retired or passed away. I don't remember but I lied to get an order, and I just thought to myself, you know, if I have to lie to get an order, then I need to find another profession. Well, I didn't find another profession, but I can tell you, I, I didn't lie anymore. And one thing about lying, you know, if you don't lie, the one thing you don't have to do, you never have to remember what you said. And Paul tells us not to let the sun go down on our anger. 
he didn't tell us not to get angry because we do it's an emotion it's like hate and love and everything else that's in us we're humans we're children of God we have all these things in us and to give you an example of anger what about Jesus Christ and some people call it his temple tantrum where he drove out all the money changers and the and the people that were selling animals in the court of the Gentiles at the, at the temple. And Christ was, um, Christ was pretty adamant about this. this was, he, he planned this. He planned this anger because he took the time to make a, a, a court of whips to drive these people out. And what they were doing, of course, they were selling doves and I guess cattle and everything else but there was other people there was changing money because the temple would only accept certain kinds of coinage and he didn't like this going on in his father's house so he drove him out he says but do not let the son go down on your anger now I just take that as this, you need to control your anger and how long it's going to last because a lot of sin can come from anger. No stealing, I won't go into that. Be wholesome in your talk. Well, I was in the military, as several other people were here in the military, and the military teaches a lot of good things, but the military can teach you a lot of bad things too. And some bad things I had to get over. It didn't take me long, but it did. There's one thing that you hear a lot of today, an awful lot of today, and that's people taking the Lord's name in vain. And one of my favorite shows in the summertime is, is um, America's Got Talent. And there's two little girls on there this year. One of them was about 12 and the other one was nine. And... One of them was a ventriloquist, and she was just just fantastic. And the other little nine-year-old girl that just sang, she was fantastic, too. Well, both of them came in first place and second place. But one of the judges, and her name was Mel B., I think she was an ex-Spice girl or something. Every time somebody just gave an extraordinary performance, she would stand up and say, Oh, my, you all know what she said. That's not an appropriate use God's name. God's name needs to be used in reference. I was watching a news clip just recently. Remember the the congressman that was shot during the baseball game back in the spring? Got shot in the hip, almost died, had several surgeries. Well, he came back to Capitol Hill, and Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, came into a room and saw him there. And, and, and of course, Paul Ryan was very glad to see him, very glad he was alive. He stands up and says, oh, my. And y'all know the rest of what he said. It's not appropriate. It's to be used in reference. And to give you an example, I put some letters up there. Almost got them. Put some letters up there, and most people will know what it means. It's YHWH. And I can tell you that's, and Jeremy or Jim can correct me on this later, but that was, that was some letters that the, Scribes used to to write to to write some of the the first five books of the Bible. They would not say God's name, so they wrote it 
Y-H-W-H, which is not pronounceable. You just can't pronounce it because they didn't want to pronounce God's name. So later on, they added the initials, uh, three, three vowels, A and E. And they put the A, and it was pronounced Yahweh. And so that was, and I might have gotten part of the story of that right. And Jeremy, you can correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But the gist of it is, the gist of it is there. But the Lord's name was used in total reference, reverence. It was not used in a way for us to express joy or gratitude or anything. It's, it's, it's a reverent word, and we need to think about that. Be encouraging. Be kind. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and every form of malice and be compassionate. That's how Paul tells us to let these fruits of the Spirit grow in our souls. And I can tell my time is about up. And, but I want to take an opportunity to offer an invitation. And the invitation is for all. There might be people here that have never obeyed the gospel that want to do so. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he is the only name on earth that will save us. There might be others that need the prayers of the church for whatever reason. The invitation is open to them too. If we can help you in any way, <clears throat> please stand while we sing and stand and sing. <clears throat>